Hey, it's Kylie Unell. My podcast, 49 Days to Stretch My Soul, is airing each weekday between Passover and Shavuot and follows my daily journey to stretch my soul during these spiritual days. We also wanted to give unorthodox listeners a special weekly window into my Omer counting journey. So here's the past week on 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. Monday. Hey, it's Kylie, and welcome to 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. Now the Passover seders are behind us, Sfirata Omer, or the counting of the Omer, has officially begun. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, listen back to last week's episode where I ran through why we count the Omer and where the tradition comes from. Basically, each week for the next seven weeks, we focus on a different aspect or attribute of God's being. That attribute is also something that we as people possess, given that tradition holds that we were created in the image of God. The Omer kicks off with a trait of chesed, which is traditionally understood as compassion or loving kindness. That's great and all, but what does that mean practically? How do you engage with loving kindness at 9 a.m. on a Tuesday or 4 p.m. on a Sunday? What does chesed mean for me, a 28-year-old living in New York City? If I'm going to explore how to connect to these traits more deeply every week, I need someone to guide me through what the trait really means. This is where Dasi Zar comes in. Dasi is the co-director of Chabad House Bowery's young professional branch, Kilas Atid, and she's somebody who has spent a lot of time studying and thinking about these traits and how they relate to life. Dasi is a close friend, a badass living on the Lower East Side, and somebody I've learned a lot from, and will be back at the start of every week. So the best starting point is why Sphira? When did you start getting interested in it? Why are you interested in it? And what is it? So I guess why I love Sphira is because it's the foundation of who we are. We're animals, essentially, and we're made up of emotions. And we don't have— I have so many emotions. I know. (laughs) I have so many. It's like, how do we manage? How do we— how do we deal with all of the inner workings of what's going on in <sighs> us? And what the spirit do, we don't have spirit. We have soul powers, and they're mirrored. Mm. Hashem has these spirit, these attributes, and then they're mirrored within us, right? Because we're made in the image of God. Yeah. It's just a roadmap of what's going on inside mm. of us. And it's like, okay, you have three intellectual attributes, right? The spirit of Chachma, Bina, and Dat. Mm-hmm. And they essentially birth your emotions. Your intellect really births your emotions. What are? The, how would you translate those three? So Chachma is your wisdom. It's that flash of inspiration. Mm. That's just like that aha moment. You're like, huh. But there's no breath or width there. And Kabbalistically, it's very masculine energy. Mm. It's like pure uh-huh. potential. It's raw. It's, if you think about it, right, man gives seed. It's just like billions of little swimmers, uh, right? Little swimmers just like <laughs> bouncing around, and yeah. they're all like, "What do I do? Like, put me somewhere, do something with me!" Ah! And it's like, "How do we? What do we do with that?" Yeah. Right? And that's very masculine. And we yeah. have that. We all have that. There's feminine, masculine. It's not about male, female. It's just we mm. all have that. Yeah. That's the Abba. That's the Father. Mm-hmm. And then there's Ima, which is Bina, and Bina is all about. Okay, let's. Now, it's the gestation period. It's like, let's take that. Let's create a fetus. Let's create— I see you little swimmers. Yeah, I see you swimmers. Like, let's 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 get you to implant. Mm. Let's ground you. Let's create some breath and width. Let's create some boundaries. Yeah. You're not all over the place. Let me take you and let me nurture you and grow you and develop you. So that's the Ima and Abba. And then, really, the spherot stack— so everything extends from Chachma and Bina. And then Dot. It, in the exactly. Middle. So Dot is that magical center pillar that's all about integration. Mm. It's the gap between what's going on in our minds and really then bringing it down into our behavior and saying, like, how can I now bring this into my life? How can I integrate it? How can I make it real and tangible? For the 49 days, for the Omer period— Where do those three pieces fit? So it's so interesting because we don't really experience the intellectual during the Omer. 
right? So it's kind of like a backstory here. Like you got to know that there are these three pillars that sort of mm. precede the emotions because your emotions are not operating in a vacuum. We birth them. We create them. We create our emotions through our thoughts. We have knee-jerk emotions and they're totally valid and they're supposed to exist. But it's really our intellect that then directs how we react, how we respond, mm. and what we do with those emotions. Yeah. yeah, so your intellect is like a huge part of this whole experience. But the thing is, is that your intellect is sort of removed and detached and a little cold. And emotions are motion, right? They set us into motion. It's all about our actions. So the Sphero and Sphirot HaOmer and this time period of 49 days— we're learning how to activate in the world, how to use our emotions and how to elevate them to be the best versions of ourselves. So we're ready to fully receive all of the gifts that are waiting mm -hmm. for us. So we've got like the mind in the background, like all the parts of the mind and then like the emotion. I love it. You're literally just like receiving yeah. like yeah. God's it's, word right yeah, now. Like, yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. I've been taken to church in some <laughs> way. But like we have these emotions, the mind is like guiding them, but we are here to guide or to hone and to work on these parts that maybe don't have the same level of guidance or shape that the mind maybe has. Yeah, so the mind is, it's like, you know, the best way to explain it is like, you can have kids running the home or parents running the home. When the kids are running the home, it's absolute chaos. The sink is running now. It's overflowing. There's food everywhere. It's just You're speaking a, it's, from personal it's, it's, experience. Yeah, I'm literally speaking about <laughs> a personal experience. And like, I have to keep so many eyes on my daughter now because she's running around. She's I'm constantly putting out fires. And if she's just running the space, it's it's a little scary. Mm. And it's it's great for certain times. And like she's got to get that energy out. You can't suppress that yeah. she's a kid right but at the same time the parents the chachma bin and dot part of us mm. this the upper parts of who we are part of the higher consciousness is about let's direct and give helpful feedback and create safe space on how to deal with these big emotions and how to process these big emotions and how to allow them to be the best that they can be because you know kids on their own Without the right mentorship and guidance, they're just like, okay, like, there needs to be that safe space. So really, the intellectual parts of us create that container. Hopefully, it's a clear container so that they can really be fluid and show up. And a lot of the spirit are about, like, losing that rigidity, but then having the right—it's all about balance, but then having the right boundaries. It's cool because I think Judaism is so much associated with the mind. Mm. It's a religion of thought, and it's people who spend time in— you know, yeshivas or whatever. Like, that's when we think of Jews. We think of argument and debate. That's all mind. And now we have this period on the calendar that is not mind. Like, the mind is there, but emotions are at the forefront. And there's movements, like Hasidic thought or Hasidism is very emotional. But Judaism as a whole, I think when people conceptualize all of the different parts of it, it's like mind. But here, there's just, like, space for feeling. Yes. 100%. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, you said it perfectly. It's like what it boils down to is the integration between the mind and the heart. Ah, that's what I'm working on in my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this is perfect. Yeah. Totally. Ah. That, that's what we're here for. And it's, you know, it's a lot. I don't think we're cursing on this podcast, so I won't say what I want to say, but it is a freaking lot. It is a lot. <laughs> So the first week of this is chesed. What does that mean? Like I translate it as love or loving kindness, but what, how do you understand that? Yeah, I was going to say, usually that's how it's translated. The raw translation is love, kindness, benevolence. And what I've learned over the years is it's like really so much more than that. Mm. The words that I like to use are expansion or extension, like expanding your mind consciousness and coming into your emotions with expansion. So what does that really mean? So if you think about it, chesed comes right after those intellectual faculties we just talked about, right? And going from this sort of rigid headspace, mm -hmm. there needs to be now flow. There needs to be expansion. Sometimes we can get stuck in our heads. You know, we have a plan. 
We've we've totally formulated this mission of what we want to accomplish, whether it's, you know, I'm going to start this business. I'm going to jump on this podcast. I know exactly what I'm going to say. And you create this, this beautiful roadmap for yourself. But then you have to be willing to surrender mm. and let go. Yeah. And allow the process to begin. So that takes a tremendous amount of confidence in yourself. Mm. It takes trust in the mission. You've thought about it already. You don't need to go there. You've done your due diligence. You've created a beautiful itinerary or whatever. And now it's time to jump in. So chesed is the ability to expand, to be open, to be willing to trust the process to let go of your, I think about like my birth plan, right? Like I had a daughter, I choreographed what I wanted that to look like for years. I want it to be in the water. I want it to be at home. I'm going to have midwives. It's going to be dark. I'm going to have this playlist. (laughs) I'm going to be drinking my coconut water and it's going to be so nice. Sounds serene. (laughs) I had such an amazing birth plan. And guess what? Once it started, it's like, dude, there's no, there's no plan. You, you just got to let that go. What ended up happening? Oh my gosh. You don't want to. I was in labor for three days. It was not at home. It was like, it was, couldn't be more different. Yeah. But I went into it knowing like, okay, this is my plan and it's the ideal situation and it's what I'd love to create. But once it started, I, we knew already that the way that we were going to move forward was we got to trust the process. We have great doctors. We have great midwives. We have an exceptional team of support. And we can lean into that and just go with it. And at every single step, we're going to ask the right questions, but we're not going to get into this stuck, right? This stuck space, this fear space, this anxiety space. We're going to keep our hearts and our minds open to just flow. It's all about flow here. Chesed is about flow, go, trust, love, confidence, willingness. These are all words that I'm like, okay, what is that? Yeah. What is that? That's exactly. confusing. And okay. so Spira is the opportunity to look at that aspect of your life and say, hmm, how do I manage when I'm in a situation that I'm starting to feel stuck in. How can I now tap into flow? How can I work on letting go, getting out of my head, and going with the process? That's hard. It's really hard. Because it's informed—I mean, at least for me, like, I know. But it's so informed by past experiences, trauma— all of these things that are separate in some ways from me in the moment, but are entirely tied to like who I am in the moment. But that ability to separate from those things and and try and move into that flow is especially hard when you think about all of the things or not even think about it because it's hard to even put your finger on it, but all of the things that hold me back in doing that. And then how do you start that process? Like, what do you do? What I try to do is remind myself that I don't run the world. I just work here. Mm -hmm. And to a certain degree, on a daily basis, we have to be willing to surrender to that and be open to a much bigger picture. I think that willingness to let go allows us to deal with the road bumps because it's like, this went wrong. What am I going to do? I'm going to start sulking. I'm going to shut down. I'm going to be angry. It's not productive. So I think in those moments— it's really hard, but I think if we start to look at the the emotional roadmap and understand how they're supposed to inform our lives and what the ideal version of chesed is mm. and what it should look like, then we can deal when the when the issues arise. And it's going to be personal. It's going to look different for everybody, totally. I assume. Totally. I mean, for some people, it's like, let me take a few breaths, you know, and just like check out for a minute or two. For another person, it's like, I need to go for a run. For another person, it's, I need to mentally coach myself to have the right language. Das, not in your hands right now. Let go. Mm. Trust the process. Be open to the beautiful gifts that are in store for you that maybe you're not receptive to, but they're there. And trust that. So it's really moving from, in Kabbalah, it's called a mochin de gadlut, a limited consciousness to mochin de kadnu, an expanded consciousness. Mm. Moving from a space of, of constriction and fear and 
being in a box to kind of dismantling those parameters and moving into flow. And this is very much the story of leaving Mitzrayim, right? Mitzrayim, Egypt, the whole Passover story is about leaving Egypt. And Egypt in Hebrew is Mitzrayim, and Mitzar means a constricted space. Mm. So it's all about consciousness here. We're talking about going from a slave mentality, a victim mentality, to a freedom mentality. (sighs) And what was so hard for the Jewish people was that they weren't even willing to accept that they were going to be freed. Like Moses literally was like, bro, it's time to leave. And they're like, no, we just want to stay. Like, we're okay. We're dealing with the suffering. Let's just stay here. And Moshe's like, dude. <laughs> That's me let's on a Tuesday. And we do that, right? We're <laughs> yeah, like, we're not even willing to see that there's something great and amazing waiting for us. It's scary to come out of that mentality because that's all we know. Right. And that's what, that's the state of mind we've been in for so long. Right. So we start with expansiveness to open ourselves up to the rest of yes. what the six weeks that come after this have to hold. Exactly. Exactly. That makes sense. Where does love fit into this? Because I do think about it from the vantage point of love and Love and expansiveness don't seem like they're opposites, but I don't know how they fit together. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Before we can start to express love outwardly, there has to be that self-love and that self-compassion that's there. So in that context, I would say chesed is that trusting self. Trusting yourself means that you love yourself. Trust and compassion towards the fact that you exist, that you have a beautiful mission to accomplish in this world, that will feed into being able to trust the world around you, trust the important people in your life. Even if they're not, you know, showing up in the way that they're meant to, if you can have compassion for yourself and you deal with the crap inside of yourself, then you're going to be able to deal with the crap of other people. Yeah. So once you can come into a space of self-love and showing expansion around yourself of, I can accomplish. I can execute on dealing with this deadline that I have in front of me. You know, even with the pressures that are in front of me, I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm going to be open to however way it's going to come up. That self-love, I think, will feed into how you express love towards others. But I do think that it really starts from the love that we have for ourselves. Well, you are meeting a person who is at the very beginning of doing that, I think. So (laughs) I'm excited to see what the rest of this journey holds because it fits perfectly like I'm not there and I want to be. And we've got six more weeks of this, so we'll see where I land. We're going to do amazing. Thanks. I'll see you next week. I went into this week thinking I understood what Chesed was all about. This was going to be the gimme week. I mean, it's supposedly all about love. Dossie totally opened my mind to a new way of thinking about Chesed as a form of inner expansiveness. She's the first person I've ever heard describe it this way, and I'm excited to see what that looks like as the week unfolds. It's also worth pointing out that the Omer is considered a period of mourning on the Jewish calendar, particularly because of a tragedy where tens of thousands of Rabbi Akiva's students were killed by Romans, plague, or both. For that reason, many Jews during this time will avoid being overly celebratory, like listening to music or even cutting their hair during the Omer. It's super important to acknowledge this, but it's also one of the multiple sides of the Omer, and for the next seven weeks, I'm going to focus on the Kabbalistic tradition of the Sphirot. Join me tomorrow when I turn to the writings of a Jungian psychologist to help me understand chesed. Until then, I'm Kylie Unell, and this is 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. Tuesday. Hey, it's Kylie, and welcome to 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. And because it's Tuesday, today I read something to help me understand this week's attribute of chesed. Yesterday, Dasi totally opened my mind to what chesed is. I thought about it in terms of love. I thought about it in terms of how I show up for other people in my life, and I think that's really true. But she was talking about it as a kind of expansive state and how when you're in that state, the thing that's most important is your own love for yourself. 
And I feel like this is a really important building block for what's going to come for the next six weeks. And so in thinking about what this week is going to look like, I'm going to read something. I'm going to do something. I'm going to talk to somebody who understands the concept of chesed in their lives. I want first to think about what other people have said about it. So I'm turning to Robert Johnson, who's a psychologist who wrote an incredible book called We, Understanding the Psychology of Romantic Love, in which he talks about the psychology of romantic love. There was one excerpt from this book that particularly spoke to me. It's not very long, I promise. He says, Love is the power within us that affirms and values another human being as he or she is. Human love affirms that person who is actually there rather than the ideal we would like him or her to be or the projection that flows from our minds. Love is the inner God who opens our blind eyes to the beauty, value, and quality of the other person. Love causes us to value that person as a total individual self, and this means that we accept the negative side as well as the positive, the imperfections as well as the admirable qualities. When one truly loves the human being rather than the projection, one loves the shadow just as one loves the rest. One accepts the other person's totality. That's enough to bring me to tears, actually, which I'm not going to do on this podcast. We're going to save that for a few weeks in, I think. But what he's really talking about, how I understand it and how it relates to this concept of chesed and expansiveness and love as emanating from that is this ability, and it's something that I struggle with so much, this ability to see yourself as you are and letting yourself be. And once I'm able to do that, once a person's able to do that, you're able to do that for other people. And so I think when it comes to this week, I'm going to be going through it, trying to come to an understanding of who I am. And I'm going to try and feel myself to my core and what's there. And in all honesty, that is the scariest thing in the world because I don't know if I really like what's there. What Dossi said is the ability to do that with love and most importantly with trust, which is actually something that I learned with my first go at fixing my soul, which is I'm not in control. I can't be in control. And more than that, I questioned in the last podcast whether I'm 100% human. and. I came to the end of it, I think, understanding that I am 100% human, <laughs> but that humanity being human is not perfect. And so it's loving against all odds. It's loving with the imperfections. Hardest thing in the world. But this excerpt from Robert Johnson is something that's going to carry me through following an incredible conversation with Dossie. And I think I'm going to carry Robert Johnson with me as I go. Join me tomorrow when I try to put self-compassion into practice and see how that works out. Until then, I'm Kylie Unell, and this is 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. Wednesday. Hey, it's Kylie, and welcome to 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. Today is Wednesday, and I actually have to do something. I've reached the middle of the week on Chesed, and I'm still trying to figure out how to make this concept of expansiveness and love real for myself. I did things this week that helped me think about Chesed as it relates to the people I love in my life, but in the end, I decided that it makes the most sense to try to apply Chesed to a different relationship. I'm going to see what it would be like to relate to myself differently. And to start that, I did what was recommended to me by an article on mindful.org titled How to Be More Compassionate. Practice number one on their list, write a letter to yourself. Hold out a notebook. <sighs> I'm going to write thank you letters to the different parts of myself that are protecting me. So like, there is a part of me that when I do something wrong or I avoid something this like mean scolding person comes out to keep me in line and I think to help me avoid feeling feelings around guilt 
and I've let it, I've let it guide. And instead of being harsh back, I think I'm gonna start, I'm gonna see it for what it is and I'm gonna write a letter. So I think this part, it's just fear. Like it's just this beautiful protective part of me that's like, okay, Kylie's about to feel a bad emotion, a negative emotion, an emotion that is not productive for her. So I'm gonna come out, this has worked for 20 however many years, I'm gonna come out, I'm gonna do a little like mean talk, some whipping, just just really things to get her in line, things to make her feel bad. And then she won't feel the feelings anymore. <laughs> and then she's gonna be fine. <laughs> and it's like not a malicious part. It feels like it could be malicious. It's not malicious, it's just protective and it's learned something that's like it works it works really well and it gets me back in line with what I was doing or what I should be doing so I'm gonna write a letter I wrote the letter knocked something off my checklist which was nice but the actual writing was hard I felt some compassion for myself but it wasn't enough God, the process of trying to learn compassion for myself. Ah, it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate task in life. Oh my gosh. Oh gosh, this reminds me of what I did in Elul when I had to give up my challenge was to do nothing and to let go and how hard that was. And yet again, when it comes to compassion, I'm struggling with it. At this point, I decided to do something totally different. Maybe there's something to this whole self-care movement of like taking a bath. If you can really do it, where you let go and you're just hanging out with yourself for a little while. Real self-care. So I took myself to go get a massage. Okay, we're on our way. I am on my way to the best little massage place <laughs> above uh, Hummus Kitchen and a pizza place. Classic New York. I actually experience a lot of resistance around doing it. It's harder to do that than it is to write some letter to part of myself. I place more value on hard work related to self-compassion or growth than pleasurable experiences or things that actually help me because they help me feel good. So it was kind of hard to walk out the door a little bit. How much is it? Oh, that was so good. That was not what I thought I needed, but exactly what I needed. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There were points when I felt a little guilty, like I needed to be doing something that was like hard or I had to be thinking and get somewhere. But I don't know, maybe halfway through, it felt like ages, but I let go. And then I felt like exactly what I needed to do. Like a lot of things in my life, I thought I could think my way to the end goal. I should know better by now, but clearly I don't, and that's okay. It's not about changing my thinking, but letting myself be and being comfortable with whatever comes up. By the end of this, I was kind of sick of thinking about how to love myself and be expansive, and all I wanted to do was just be. That's what I had been craving the whole time. And with that building block, tomorrow I'm going to talk to somebody whose mission it is to help people access chesed in their lives. She was also the first person to help me do that for myself. Until then, I'm Kylie Unell, and this is 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. Thursday. Hey, it's Kylie, and welcome to 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. Today is the day I talk to somebody who lives chesed. 
This is a huge day for me because I get to talk to the person who has been the biggest influence in my life when it comes to self-acceptance, compassion, and love. Cheryl Paul is a counselor specializing in relationship anxiety and the author of The Wisdom of Anxiety, How Worry and Intrusive Thoughts Are Gifts to Help You Heal. For context, I love this book so much that I've purchased 20 copies of it to date for friends and loved ones. Cheryl was the first person to ever teach me how to have compassion for myself and for my quirks and sensitivities and worries. Aside from her teaching, she lives a life geared towards self-compassion and devotes her life to helping others attain the same thing. Oh, Cheryl, this is, I can't express to you how much of a dream come true this is. A friend of mine, Rebecca Lowen, introduced me to your book. She actually told me multiple times to get your book, and I was not receptive to it at all. I was just like, this is not, you think I have anxiety. You think, And I, I've known that I have worries and fears and, and anxiety, but I didn't think I needed a book for it. I could handle it on my own, and, and I wasn't receptive to it at all. And then there was a breaking point, and I was like, okay, it's time. And I got your book, and then I got 20 more copies of your book to give oh. to people. <laughs> because it oh, was— that's amazing. It was the greatest thing I'd ever read because you approach fear and worry from such a real place, and it's not something that is like the typical self-help book. It's somebody who's lived it and who talks from their own experience, but I think most importantly, who practices self-compassion and who has compassion for themselves. And that comes through very clearly. And it's something that you're able to pass on to people through what you write. And this week is compassion. It's expansiveness. It's chesed, which I learned earlier this week, is a sense of expansiveness that gives you the space to love yourself, feel connected to yourself, value yourself enough to do what you're here to do in life, which is wonderful, <laughs> but very difficult <laughs> for somebody like me. Um, because whenever I think I'm being compassionate with myself, I'll talk to somebody and they'll say, wow, you're being really hard on yourself. And so when I thought about who it was that I wanted to help me understand chesed in a lived way, you were the first person that came to mind because I've learned so much from you to begin with. And to take the opportunity to learn from you in a deeper way would just be the greatest privilege. So what I'm curious about for you is how you came to speak the language of self-compassion and make it something that was so important to you that you decided to devote your career to it. First of all, thank you for everything you just said. That's an excellent question. I don't know that anyone has ever asked me how I came to approach my work through the lens of compassion because people mostly are asking me about anxiety itself more than the lens and the mindset. But absolutely, I can't talk about anxiety without talking about it from a deeply compassionate mindset. And some of that is my training in Jungian psychology, which views all of our symptoms, not as evidence of disorder or brokenness, but as evidence of the soul's attempt to become more whole, to live into our wholeness, our intrinsic wholeness, to remember our wholeness, that our symptoms are coming in service of healing and growth and wholeness, not as evidence that there's something wrong and that we have to get rid of it and we have to be ashamed of it. It is the exact opposite. So I've been trained in that mindset for a very, very long time, going back to my graduate training at Pacifica Graduate Institute in Santa Barbara. And then there was this incredible confluence of the highly sensitive population that ended up finding their way to me and raising my two highly sensitive sons. And can you tell us what highly sensitive means also, just for context? Yes. Yeah, so highly sensitive is a temperamental trait that 15 to 20%, I think maybe as high as 30% of all species, human and non-human, have, which is a heightened awareness of our senses, but also highly attuned to the emotional realm, often shows up early in life with an awareness of death, a fear of change, a fear of loss, because we are aware as very young people that that ultimately ends in death. And so there are a lot of challenges that come from being highly sensitive, 
But when we learn how to honor that innate sensitivity that many, you know, 15 to 30% of our population has, that it can be channeled into exquisite compassion, empathy. These are the most compassionate, empathic people on the planet, truly. It's what our world needs more of. The challenge is that so often highly sensitive kids are raised to think there's something wrong with me. You're too sensitive. You're too much. Calm down. What's wrong with you? Get over it. Can't you take a joke? So these are the common messages that highly you see me smiling because I'm like, yep, <laughs> yeah, yep. we all heard it. We all heard it growing up. Just like get over it, you know, buck up through nobody's fault. Really, this is not about pinning blame on any one in particular. It's a societal, it's a cultural, it's really a global problem that we have forgotten how to honor sensitivity and that in some ways, the highly sensitives are also the poets, the artists, the mystics, like the, the people that we desperately need, often the therapists, the teachers, the helpers. So there was this meeting of my clients and my course members with my children, my sons who became vegetarians, at, like my older son when he was five. So it's this, to me, exquisitely beautiful human soul that has reverence for all beings, every being on the planet. And I was seeing the same in my clients and they were mirroring each other. And so it became crystal clear that even though people were coming to me for their anxiety, their relationship anxiety, their health anxiety, whatever the current spike was, whatever theme their anxiety was hanging its hat on, and they were coming with this whisper of shame, right? Sharing these dark thoughts that were in their heads thinking I should be so ashamed. And I would meet them with, first of all, I've heard this a hundred times now. And now 20 years later, I've heard this thousands of times. And it's evidence of your profoundly empathic, beautiful heart. I imagine it was also a journey to get to that point because if you yourself are sensitive, at least I found with myself, I think my dog is highly sensitive. Like I think all oh, of these yes. beings in my life are highly sensitive. And it's very hard to give to others what you don't give to yourself. That's probably the biggest struggle and the thing that I've been working on this week because where does it come from if you don't have it? So I'm curious for you, was it a process of cultivating that in yourself? Have you always been compassionate with yourself and thus compassionate with others? Did you go through struggle to get there? How did you get to where you are? So I was very blessed to be surrounded in early life by some beings, a dog included, who just loved me unconditionally. And I had that experience of unconditional love. My brother was one of them, my grandparents. And so I had some sense of my goodness. I also, by some lucky serendipitous decision on my parents' part, I was the only one of my three brothers that was sent to a Jewish nursery school. We are a Jewish family, but non-religious, bordering on anti-religious. My grandparents had left all of that behind, had, having been raised Orthodox, that was not their scene. And yes, we celebrated the holidays, but that was pretty much the extent of it. And I went to a preschool in Los Angeles called Temple Isaiah on Pico Boulevard, and I fell in love with God. I fell in love with God and with Judaism. And I came back home every week. Can we celebrate Shabbat? Can we celebrate <laughs> Hanukkah? But you know, wow. even beyond that, there was no one talked about God in my house. Nobody. And it was sort of a bad word. And I just knew that there is some energy, right? It wasn't a being for me. It was just an energy of love, yeah, right? Of love, of profound compassion, deep, deep compassion. And I carried that with me, you know, and it, and it went in and out in terms of my active relationship to that energy of love. And then I was blessed to find, to meet a best friend, like a true best friend when I was 11. And she's still, she's wow. still wow. over 50. So I had these sort of like God drops yeah. along the way of here. These things are really hard. There were some really hard things, but here, 
here's going to be a mirror. And a best friend can be that too, a mirror of your intrinsic goodness and lovability, right? I am here to stick by you no matter what. And we were that for each other through our adolescence, which were also full of tumultuousness for me. And then meeting my husband, you know, another mirror. You know, I I think it's somewhat true that we can't give to others what we don't know how to give to ourselves. But I also think that there is a reciprocity, there's a relationship and it's through the relationship with others. Also therapists. I've had incredible therapists over the years who have held that space of unconditional positive regard, like the very basics of therapy, right? And have mirrored that back to me and held me in so much compassion that I've absorbed that and just kept absorbing it over the decades. So what would you say to somebody who struggles with perfectionism and shame and those voices that keep, I'm talking about myself, but that keep me from moving into that space of (laughs) self-compassion and how to increase that space? I I know just because I have read your book multiple times, (laughs) you talk about your struggle when you graduated college And when anxiety kicked in at that point for you in your life, you talked about perfectionism, something that I grapple with a lot. And something that I'm also thinking about during, I mean, all of my creation, but particularly right now with this creation, I want it to Mm. be something that's perfect. And and Mm. it's easy to get caught up in that and to think, I should be here. I should be doing this. Next week is about discipline and restraint. I should be more disciplined. I'm not disciplined enough. Like all of these critical voices to keep me in line. And so I'm wondering what advice you have when it comes to increasing my chesed for myself, how to adopt that. Yeah, it's a practice. And so it's even having compassion for the lack of compassion, right? It's like the meta layers of, oh, there's my perfectionist. Hi, hi, you, you can come in. You can come in. I'm going to practice inviting you in instead of hating the part of me that's self-critical because then we're in that additional layer of self-criticism that we make room. In the book, I talk about drawing out the table, right, of psyche. And at the head of the table is that inner parent who we are growing all the time to be that voice of compassion and and wisdom and groundedness. And the compassionate friend, how would I respond to a friend in that moment, in this moment, when I hear that critical voice coming in, when I hear that demand, it has to be this, and I should be more disciplined, and I should, 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 and all the shoulds, right, that are incredibly unhelpful. There's my perfectionist. How would I respond to a friend in this moment? And practicing that voice, practicing that way of responding. And also what I I say to younger people is that some of it happens with time. Some of it is just what happens when you grow up and you are on a path of inquiry and reflection and spirituality and grappling, that some of it just starts to fall into place because 20s, 30s, there's a lot of unknown and ungroundedness and who am I and what am I doing? What's my place in the world? And then there are just certain mindsets that I find incredibly helpful with perfectionism. And one is, am I here to serve? And is this whatever I'm offering, is it of service? And if I'm here to serve, then it doesn't really matter so much how it's received. Is it perfect? No one actually cares about any of that right? What they're caring for is, is your heart, is your intention. That's what they care about. And so it's coming back to intention all the time, every day. How can I best serve? How can I be of service? And I'm going to put it out into the world. Every time I write a blog post, every time I hit publish, every time I post on Instagram, of course, there's a part of me that's like, is it good enough? Where's it going to land? Is there a typo? Oh no. And then it's, oh, hi. Hello, perfectionist. I'm going to set you over here. I'm not going to kick you out of the room, but I'm just going to set you over here and trust that whatever I'm sharing, if it touches one person, that is enough. If it touches one person and it makes them think about something in a new way, in a more compassionate way, if if it softens the voice of shame, that's enough. When I asked you about coming on this podcast, I told you it would be for Svirata Omer. And you said, I love counting the Omer. (laughs) And so I'm curious, what do you love about counting the Omer? Well, I love all Jewish practice. And I will say that I fail a ton, right? 
I miss most of it. It's like what, 49 <laughs> days? Like I yeah. probably I'm all gung ho in the beginning. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Completely into it. <laughs> yeah. And then it like falls away. And then I have to watch like the guilt. And then I work with that. And I just love Jewish practice. I love that these practices exist. The the main roadmap that I've used for counting the Omer comes from Rabbi Jill Hammer and Um, I took a class with her called Wheel of the Year, and she shared this PDF where each day she would talk about that day's spherot, the blending of the spherot, as a biblical female. Mm, Cool. Yeah, it was really, it's a really cool way of bringing the feminine into this practice of how, how does Ruth embody you know, Chesed, whatever, each one. And yeah, so I love that. Yeah, Miriam, all these people, I mean, who knew there were 49, but apparently there were 49. I didn't know that. <laughs> so when I've done it, I've I've just used it as a, as a journaling practice to take her prompt or her paragraph and ask, how does this relate to my life today? What is one piece I can extract from it that feels meaningful for me? That's bringing like your heart to Judaism. And I think that's what we're all called to do. And it looks different for everybody. Here I am affirming you. You're doing great. Thanks. <laughs> that's, the right, that's the right Judaism. Thanks. <laughs> oh, I, feel, I feel lighter and I, and I am so grateful to you. I'm grateful for you and for your existence in the world. And, and you're feeling compelled and strong enough to express yourself the way that you do. You've completely changed my life and you've also completely changed my Omer and helped me feel the expansiveness of this week and really tap into that. So I'm eternally grateful to you. Thank you, Kylie. So beautiful to hear and receive. Thank you. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but I came out of my conversation with Cheryl feeling lighter. It feels like the conversational version of getting a massage. I feel the same kind of relaxed self-contentment that I felt yesterday with my do. I rarely experience this in a human being, but it felt like she embodied the trait of chesed as Dasi explained it to me. She had this expansive nature that made it feel like however I show up with her is okay. You talk to her and you feel the sense of loving space that is hard to explain, but hopefully something that came through the audio the way that I felt it. She is truly chesed embodied. And beyond that, she helped me feel like my work is accepting myself exactly as I am, not trying to correct the things I feel are problems or ridding myself of the shame, but accepting all of it as part of me. Also felt amazing to hear that perfectionism isn't necessarily something that can be unwired, it just is. And so with the feeling of lightness and the sense of comfort I have with myself to carry me through the day, tomorrow I'll wrap up the first week of the Omer with a reflection on chesed and all that I've learned this week. Until then, I'm Kylie Younell and this is 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. Friday. Hey, I'm Kylie and welcome to 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. You might notice that this episode came out at 2 o'clock Eastern on Thursday, and here's why. Tonight is the beginning of the end of Passover, and it's a holiday where I won't be listening to podcasts. I decided to release this early for the people out there like me. That being said, do whatever you want. This podcast is all about my Jewish journey, and whenever you decide to listen is a part of yours. I started this week thinking I was going to have an easy week. I could not have been more wrong about that. That's not because the trait of this week, chesed, is actually a difficult one to put into practice. I think for a lot of people, it's probably pretty easy. But for me, it meant letting go of my idea about what it means to accept myself and instead give myself the space to simply be. It reminded me a lot of my experience in the final week of my Elul work, where I gave myself the task of just being in Elul. I went out into nature and talked to God, brought my friends together to give me criticism, and engaged in a prayer meditation for the first time, but none of that was as hard as letting go and just being. Hello, pumpkin. Hi, Mom. How are you? I'm okay. I am... Starting um, 
a week of letting go and like really struggling with it. <laughs> I thought I would I thought it would be a lot easier. I started off this week with a lesson from Dasi about what Chesed really means. Whereas I thought it was love and compassion, Dasi helped me understand that it's really about expanding your sense of self. From there, you can begin the process of moving out of fear by trusting yourself and feeling a strong sense of your own power. From that place, you're able to rest easy knowing that you're doing the best you can and go through the world with a sense of purpose and ultimately compassion with yourself and for yourself as you go through life. That sounded great, but in practice, it required some work. First, Robert Johnson helped me connect to the truth that in life, there are the ideas we have of ourselves and the self that we actually are. Once we connect to seeing ourselves and others realistically and not through the lens of what we want or expect them to be, then we can begin to experience true chesed. As he writes, love causes us to value that person as a total individual self. And this means that we accept the negative side as well as the positive, the imperfections as well as the admirable qualities. I thought that I could do something to learn that. I wrote myself a letter thinking that some heady task was going to be the cure and help me work on chesed. That was nice, but the thing that made the biggest difference was taking the opportunity to just be. Getting a massage, letting go of my thoughts and worries, and allowing myself to simply exist. The feeling that I had coming out of that massage was very similar to the one I felt after I spoke to Cheryl yesterday. Her calmness, her reassurance, and her compassion gave me the sense that I can let go. I can let everything be and address whatever comes up as it arises. My takeaway is that it is perhaps the hardest thing to have self-compassion when you're trying to hold on to your idea of yourself. Chesed asks us to have a more expansive vision of ourselves, one that can hold all of the different parts. This week, in many ways, felt like a clearing out and making space for everything that's to come in the six weeks moving ahead. And I think that's why Chesed is at the beginning. It's not because it's the easiest. It's because it's really hard to change your idea of yourself and let go. And you need six more weeks to be able to integrate the practice of compassion. It's the first building block and it needs all of the other pieces to be able to be a full part of your life. And with that, I set out on my journey to continue stretching. I'll learn what it looks like to incorporate next week's trait Gavura, commonly translated as discipline and restraint into my life and set boundaries to my newly won expansiveness and compassion. That's it for 49 days to stretch my soul this week. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to get the daily version. Forty Nine Days to Stretch My Soul is a production of Tablet Studios. The show is hosted by me, Kylie Unell, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruske, Josh Cross, Quinn Waller, Robert Scaramuccia, and Sara Fredman Ader. Our team includes Stephanie Butnick, Leah Leibovitz, Mark Oppenheimer, and Tanya Singer. Please go rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps other people discover the show. For more of me, you can follow at Kylie Unell on Instagram. For more information about this or any other of Tablet's podcasts, visit tabletmag.com slash podcasts.